From the beautiful city of West Hollywood, we bring you Film Forward, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. Hello, I am Nicholas Ibarra, and this is Film Forward. This is the inaugural episode of Film Forward, and we are honored to be joined by America herself. Not the country, but equally as uh, accomplished, I would say. America Young is a writer, a director, an actor, a mother, a stunt coordinator, and she is also the co-founder of the Chimera Project, which is a nonprofit organization dedicated to empowering women in the industry. Did I miss anything, America? No, you got it. And I, I like your use of, there were so many different adjectives you could have used to describe both me and the country. And um, I think you chose a good one. Yes. I think that was accomplished. <laughs> that, was, that was a good way to go. Obviously, you do a lot. So I've put a challenge in front of myself to try and squeeze the busiest person I know into uh, this 30 minutes for our for our inaugural episode, but uh, I think we're up for the challenge. I'm honored to be here for the first one, too, by the way. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Um, I'm just going to go right into it and talk about um, a feature that you've directed, which uh, is now available mm-hmm. on... On VOD platforms, so iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, uh, all of those different... Anyone steam all of them. The concessionaries must die. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about it. How how did this how did this feature come about? Well, um, the so it was it was brought to me by uh, two producers and who had uh, commissioned a writer to write the script, and they had both wanted to produce it and be in it. And um, through that process, we developed the script and got it to a place where we were really excited about it. Um, it was independently funded. I'm not a hundred percent sure that the people who gave us the money are not in the mafia, <laughs> <laughs> um, but they were still our angel investors, and without them, we couldn't have gotten it done. There are investors in the film industry who aren't in the mafia. Yeah, yeah, that's an excellent point. <laughs> that's an excellent point. I think they must all be in some sort. Um, and it was just—it was an incredible project because we just kind of. We had enough money to make the movie, but we didn't necessarily have enough for post. And I don't know that I would ever do this ever again, but we leapt and hoped for the net to appear. And thankfully it did appear. Um, so we, we jumped in and we shot all of the location um, at the theater, which is a gorgeous theater called the Warner Theater up in Fresno. So we were up there for two weeks. And then we had a few months um, to uh, raise some more money and get a cut in and um, find out our schedule for our actors. And then we shot another week in Los Angeles. And then we had another six months of editing and more fundraising. And then we had our last shoot. And our last shoot was in October of 2014. So what is what is Yeah, what is that like? Um, because I'm sure you're not the only one who has gone through that kind of process where you kind of have to make the film in chunks based off of when certain money is there and working around actors' schedules and stuff, which we often have to do, uh, not just with low-budget filmmaking, but with high-budget filmmaking. Uh, how did you have to work around your creative process um, to like step away from the project at certain times and then you have to come back to it getting back into making sure that the film has your vision throughout that. How is that process? It's tough. Um, you know, there's that triangle cheap 
good fast. You can only have two. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we wanted it. It's cheap. We had no choice. Right. Um, we wanted it to be good, so we knew it wasn't going to take. It was going to be a, a slow process. Right. And so, when people are working for next to nothing, you have to work around their schedule and you have to be considerate. And we had incredible actors who just kept showing up for us over, and our crew kept showing up for us over and over again. Um, and at the time, it was infuriating having to have those times in between shoots. But now I look back at it and I realize what a gift it was yeah. because we shot our first block, and then we had four or five months to edit and see if we needed any holes to be filled or anything that wasn't coming across in camera. And then we had our shoot in February. We shot everything we needed and then we we were able to edit a whole bunch of stuff and go, oh, you know, it would be great if we had this one moment or this one insert and this. So then when we had our last and final shoot, we were able to get everything we needed to make sure that the story was being told and coming across. And one of the roadblocks that we came across is the intention of the movie from the beginning was to cut away to public domain footage as interstitials in between. That was Mm -hmm. the intention all along. And mainly because I wanted Audrey Hepburn in my movie but um and there's some amazing clips out there that are public domain but then we started realizing that and this is after our second shoot that there's a lot more complications to that so while the footage might be for, uh, fair use you can't use their face unless they died in a certain city in over 75 years they have to have been dead by 75 years wow so charlie chaplin hasn't even been dead 75 years yeah. yet, you know? Right. Um, Buster Keaton hasn't been dead 75 years yet. So then we start realizing that while the footage is free, we still have to pay their estates to use their face, which is only fair. It makes you know? sense, yeah. Um, but we didn't have that. Right. So then that gave us the time to come up with the, the the backup plan, which ended up being so much even better, which is all the little vignettes that are our little homages to the other movies. Yeah. So it ended up working out wonderfully, but if we didn't have that time... To do that, then we really would have been screwed. Yeah. And that's amazing that that, those little vignettes came as a plan B because it felt like that was a part part of of the original content. They they worked so well. And as a cinephile and a film lover, which this film is an ode to those, uh, I think uh, that was a a great choice. Thank you. I mean, it was, it, it came from us all brainstorming from the team. And I had already watched all of these movies that were public domain and found the exact moments that reflected back to the movie. Right. And so coming up with something that, that we could use instead was, is, it was an easy transition, but it was even better because then we weren't limited to public domain. We were able to go for the, the, the piece that really represented the characters the best. Yeah. Uh, how did Stanley uh, get involved with the film? And he, Ended up being a producer on the film. Yeah, he's executive producer on the film. And he's in it? He's in it. It's his first acting role ever on camera. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen him in a film, so that was really yeah. exciting for he, me to he's see. He's done a ton of cameos, and I remember when we were <laughs> filming it, he said, he was like, oh, this is my first role in a movie. I said, Stan, I mean, at the time he was 93, I said, Stan, you've been in hundreds of movies. <laughs> right. And he said, oh, he's just a cameo. I've never acted. I've never I guess had a that's role. true. Yeah. Yeah, even even in Mallrats, he played himself. I was going to say in Mallrats, yeah, he but he's just playing yeah. himself. He had a great monologue, but he was himself. So um, he got involved. I had been doing a weekly comic book show for his YouTube channel for the year before. Um, so I, I was familiar with him and his company. And then um, a woman who worked in his office, who's just amazing, who's also a co-producer on the film, um, Yuka Kobayashi, she's the one who was... Who, uh, was able to make it all come together and make it gel, and um, it just made sense. I mean, the movie is a, the movie's about movie fans and comic book fans, and having him involved in it, um, it just it's his brand, you know. Yeah. So, um, and then having him be in it was even better because he did a great job. He's great in the movie. Yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. funny that it, I guess it is 
I've never seen him play not himself. Yeah. And, he, and I, for a while we toyed with giving him the credit and introducing Stan Lee. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, we just decided that would be too, too much story, too much mm. backstory. Yeah. But um, yeah, he was, he was incredible. And we have him doing an introduction for the trailer. And uh, he's, he's such a great guy. It's amazing. Yeah, he's a pleasure to work with. So you guys didn't have a lot of time to shoot the film. The production schedule is very short. Um, and you are also, for the most part, this was a travel job. Mm-hmm. I've done it before. I know you've done it before. But talk to the audience about what it's like to do a travel job and to make a feature when everybody's kind of away from home. It turned out to be amazing. Um, it turned out to feel like summer camp. So yeah. the majority of the movie takes place in an old movie theater, you know, um, and there are some gorgeous ones in Los Angeles, but the day rates on those were just astronomical. And we came across, our, our producer, Zaki came across this wonderful, gorgeous theater up in Fresno. And um, they were willing to work with us and give us a great rate. Um, the only downside, of course, was that we had to then work around their schedule because they're a working theater. So you know, there's a scene in which a memorial is happening on the roof of the theater, and that was originally supposed to happen inside the theater, but at the time, an actual memorial was happening underneath us as we were filming that. Oh, wow. So there were so many times we had to work around their schedule and then think on the fly and, you know, put it, oh, we can't shoot it there, then we'll shoot it here. Right. Um, And every single time I'm thrilled with what we came up with instead, I have to say, that that was incredible. But we were up in Fresno. Um, We were staying at kind of a shady motel. Um, And uh, so a lot of people just preferred to be on set even when we weren't working. (laughs) And so it became like summer camp. I mean, we just had a blast. Um, People were always hanging out on set and playing and having a good time. And this theater was stunning. And we're pretty sure it was haunted. And um, the stories that that people have told even just recently, because, you know, we shot three years ago. And then recently with the movie coming out, the cast has been reunited and the crew has been reunited and the stories they've been telling. I didn't even know were happening um, of the exploring the theater and seeing ghosts and, and the, the, um, it was just, it was a wonderful experience. It was actually really fun. Sometimes it can be tough. Sometimes it can be really hard to be away from home, but it's you, if it's done right, it's such a gift to get to do nothing but play. You know, absolutely. You have nothing else to worry about but go back to your hotel, get up in the morning, and go make a movie. Make and, this movie, and that's what that was for the two weeks we were up there. There's nothing like a travel job. It's the fastest way to build best friends, yes. lifelong friends, yes. lifelong partners, um, or uh, sworn enemies. Yes, <laughs> yes. You get you get there as fast as possible. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's either to be A or B, and you the get there best right way away. To do it. Yeah. Now, America, we're going to talk about the Chimera Project. Tell us about how this organization came to be. I executive produced with uh, Jen Fee and April Wade a feature film in 2011 called Girls, 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 which was a feature anthology of six short films that all had to be written, directed, shot, produced, and edited by women. And so we would find the uh, female director or a director that identifies as female, and we would give them the funds, and then we would encourage them require them to hire women in those key positions. The rest of the crew was totally up to them. And um, it was an incredible experience and the film did really, really well. It did great at the film festival circuit. We got distribution. Um, And Shauna Betts, who was one of the filmmakers in the collection, hers is the first film and it's, she's excellent, uh, came up to me and, and, and told me, you know, what an incredible experience it was for her. And she thought that maybe we should continue the process and maybe make it into a nonprofit. Um, so 
so then at that point we brought on Cheryl Book out, who has a ton of experience in the nonprofit world specifically. So she's keeping us legit, whereas Sean and I are the more filmmaker type. Um, so that is our goal is to continue to find um, different voices to tell stories and give them the support they need to do that. And we do that in a different, a lot of different ways. We'll give money. Um, we just gave a bunch of filmmakers finishing funds to finish their films. Um, they were just stunning, stunning films. Um, but then we'll also do, we have mentorship programs. Um, we have, uh, we're doing um, a flip the script reading in which we take a script that is very um, male heavy and we just literally just flip the roles just to see how it sounds different and just to point out how uneven it is. So at LA Comic Con um, on the 27th, we're doing a reading of from Supernatural. And it's a cast of 10 with um, one female character being read by one male. So it's a, it's a really interesting to just hear the difference of that. We've done Shawshank. Um, oh, we've wow. Done, That's yeah, very cool. It's, it's really crazy. Yeah. It's really crazy. And the most fascinating part is most insults are uh, male or female based. Right. And so finding a way to turn those around because we flip everything in the script. We found all the pronouns and all the insults. So like son of a bitch. Like how would you make that a non-feminine insult and a masculine insult. So we had like a 20-minute conversation. I think we ended up with daughter of pricks, <laughs> right? Like right. How, how, do you, how do you do that switch? Yeah. Um, and so uh, the other, and we also do a lot of panels. And one that we're really excited about is the Wonder Woman filmmaker panel that we're doing also at the LA Comic Con. That website is comicconla.com. And that will be on the 27th at 2 p.m., and um, we have some just phenomenal filmmakers on the panel. And we specifically tried to pick people who had a lot of hyphenates. Um, the idea is to inspire people um, in, the, in the room who are at the panel to get up and make their own stuff. And so we wanted people with a lot of different perspectives. You know, So we have Sonia, who's a brilliant producer and filmmaker and storyteller, but then she also runs the LA Diversity Film Festival. And right. we have people who are writers and slash producers, slash directors. Um, Sherry Golke is incredible. She is a filmmaker, and she also teaches filmmaking at high schools. So she has a great perspective in, in terms of encouraging people to start. Um, so I'm really excited about that panel too. That's great. Yeah, I, I saw the list of filmmakers. You guys got a lot of really great people. Yeah. Um, how do you guys find candidates or uh, filmmakers when you guys are doing stuff with the Chimera Project, that organization? Do filmmakers come to you or do you come to them? We'll open up submissions. So we've done two contests. We've had uh, competitions in which we've awarded money and those will open up submissions for submissions that people submit and then we go through them. Um, and then sometimes we go to them. So in the screening that we had this previous weekend, it would people that we had awarded money to, we were fiscal sponsors also to a few film filmmakers, which means that by aligning themselves with us when they're raising money, anybody who donates to their film, it's a tax write-off for the donation. So that way we can support in that regard. And so the screenings were people that we had given finishing funds to, been fiscal sponsors for, or just that we thought were awesome. Yeah. Um, and uh, we wanted to highlight and, and spotlight and support. So, But most of the time it's open submission. So if you join our mailing list on the website, then you'll be the first one to know about any uh, submissions we're accepting. Very cool. How has the Chimera Project's mission changed or your day-to-day -day operations changed since the Me Too movement started, if it has at all? That's a really good question. Our mission hasn't changed. Our enthusiasm behind our mission has definitely quadrupled, yeah. and we feel even more power than before to, to go after it. And the other 
thing that I've noticed is that the support has definitely increased. I think um, with the Me Too movement and all of the light being shown on the shadows, um, people are finding more of a community and people are seeking out others to try to support them to speak out and have a voice and, and tell different stories and different perspectives. So I think that that is one of the wonderful things that has come out of this movement um, is knowing that you're not alone and that there is a lot of insidious things happening, but, um, I think human beings have a wonderful way of taking something really, really ugly and finding the best possible outcome from it. And the Chimera project has definitely benefited from, um, that the good in people coming forward. And you guys recently, just this past weekend, had uh, a screening, right, with some films, all directed by women? Yes, this, just this weekend, um, the 13th and 14th at the Arena Cinema Lounge, which is a gorgeous space. Um, we had a screening of, of films, and it was a collection of films that we had helped with finishing funds, uh, were fiscal sponsors to, or just that we thought were awesome. That's great. It sounds like an amazing organization. As you always do amazing things, uh, check out the Chimera Project. For those of you who want to come, please come to the Wonder Woman Filmmakers panel at LA Comic Con. You can get tickets at ComicConLA.com. It's going to be October 27th at 2 p.m. I will be there supporting. I'll be there with my popcorn. Can you bring popcorn in? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm sure you can. Okay, perfect. Then are you going to dress popcorn. in costume, in cosplay? What, what would you dress up as? Um, you know, I'm not a huge cosplayer. What which would I dress up as? Maybe something Star Wars. Yeah. Maybe I'd go as Finn. Okay, okay. I like that jacket. Yeah, that's a good jacket. I can rock that. You totally can rock that jacket. All right, cool. Finn there's it no is. judgment. That's the great thing about Comic-Cons is there's no judgment. Like People will recognize the fan in you, whatever that fandom right. is, and they embrace it. And so I, I think you should definitely go for it. Okay, cool. Finn. Look for Finn <laughs> at the Comic-Con. I'll at be the, the only Woman. one, I'm sure. Yeah, the only one, I'm sure. Um, now I want to talk, uh, speaking about fandom, if we will, I want to switch gears and talk about Barbie, hmm. of which I'm a huge fan. Really? I used to play with Barbies a lot when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom is listening. She knows this. Um, <laughs> and talk about the Barbie vlogs. Uh, if you can explain to us what those are and what your involvement is with them. Sure. Um, Barbie vlogs. Uh, Barbie, Millicent Roberts is her full name. She has a vlog on YouTube, on the Barbie YouTube channel. And um, it was the brainchild of Ju- Julia Pister, who's brilliant and magnificent. And her desire was to reach out to kids and inspire them and um, have a personal connection. Um, a lot of the a lot of kids had always expressed about wanting to know more about her on a uh, more personal level. So um, that was what motivated them. And um, once they started going and we, once they started seeing the connection that they actually had to the kids and the kids are talking back, the kids and adults are talking back to her. Right. Then um, they saw what a, an amazing platform it was to actually connect and, and teach wonderful lessons. So I um, am lucky enough to um, voice her and it's a motion capture gig also. So I I'm the first step of animation and I do the voice of her. Um, and, um, I, it's interesting because I think if I had auditioned in a traditional way, um, I would have played her and skewed her the way that everyone always perceives her as this flawless fashion icon. But, um, I never really played with her as a kid. I always had my Star Wars toys and my GI Joes and we all played together, but it wasn't ever just typical Barbie. Right. So when I actually did, um, uh, 
end up doing her, I, I made sure she snorted when she laughed and she got just as excited about science as she did about English. And, right. um, she's just very, she's nervous, you know, it's her first vlog. And I think, um, I think that's what makes her so much more relatable is because she's a real person. Yeah. Making um, her human. Yeah. Instead of this flawless icon, which she has been for so long. Right. You know, and what Mattel has done, which is really brilliant and, it, you know, really headed by Julia and there's this incredible team of Rosanna Sun and, uh, Teal Sperling, like they took her flawlessness and they made that a flaw. So she's a very type A personality. And so sometimes she takes on more than she could handle. And then what are the repercussions of that? And she has a younger sister who always has to live in her shadow. And they have whole conversations about what that's like to have to live in the shadow of the, the, the perfect older sibling, which I think most second kids can relate to. Right. And there's been vlogs about how to deal with um, when you're feeling blue and um, how to stand up for yourself and others and um, different types of bullies, you know, and how to handle different types of bullies. And um, we had one. One recently that I'm particularly excited about because it was one that I really wanted us to do was about how women uh, apologize too much. It's almost a, a reflex. Um, it's not an actual apology, but it's just an apology for taking up space or, you know, if you bump into a girl, she'll say sorry, right. even though you bumped into her. Right. And so the idea of just being aware of the fact that whether you mean to or not by you saying it, 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 it wears you down and who you are. Um, and then we also just did one on the dream gap, which is something that I had not heard of before, although I knew the concept of it, which is, um, between the ages of four and six is when girls start to lose their confidence. So you ask a little girl before four, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she'll say, I'm going to be a princess, astronaut, doctor, lawyer, teacher. Right. Without hesitation. <laughs> right. And then you ask a little girl after this dream gap occurs and they go, I don't, I don't know. And they stop raising their hands as much in school and they start doubting their ideas and they start second guessing it. Very and interesting. And a lot of that has to do with just the, the, the fact that our language is so based around female being bad and male being good. Right. So you run like a girl, you throw like a girl, you're emotional like a girl. Girls can't do that. Girls can't be president. Girls can be president too, like implying that they haven't been. Right. And so what's amazing is that the people that I've been dealing, working with on this project and over at Mattel, they genuinely want to fix this and they genuinely want to make a difference. And um, that's what's been so incredible about being part of it. And then this last season, um, I've actually been directing as well as as voicing and motion capturing her, which has been a dream. Yeah. Congrats. Yeah. That's Thank you. Amazing. Thank it's, you. It's, I mean, it. it's being honest with kids, yeah. really, which sometimes I think we have a hard time doing. Yeah, um, because, giving them the credit. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, because we're afraid of scaring them or hurting them, but um, you know they're little humans, and I think the honesty is the best policy. Is that somebody yeah. wrote that? And they're picking it up. My anyway. mom wrote that. I think your mom. I'm sure it was your yeah. mom. Your mom's a very wise woman. <laughs> Um, they're picking it up anyway. Yeah, you know? exactly. So we, we couch it in a way that we don't want to scare anyone and we want to make sure it's palpable for people to, to take in. But, um, there's, there's an honesty there because the genuine desire to make a connection and inspire is there. Absolutely. Cool. Well, we are inspiring. I'm inspired by you, America. And I'm inspired we're gonna by you. We're going to take a little break and when we come back, you're going to give me three. Submissions are now open for the 2019 Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. Submit today through Film Freeway or at LADFF.com. You really want to submit to this film festival. I had mine in it this year and I loved every minute. 
All right, welcome back to Film Forward. We are here with Miss America Young, and this is our Give Me Three segment. So in promoting film, the lovers of film, and the love of film, one thing that we're going to be doing every single week with our guests is asking them to give me and our audience three recommendations. Could be films, could be books, but something that perhaps you may have not heard of. So America, let's start. Give me one. Oh man, this is so hard. Okay, so I'm going to do this in chronological order. Um, the first one that I'm going to suggest is Sullivan's Travels by Preston Sturges. Sullivan's Travels. This movie is, is a brilliant movie, and it's whenever I start to doubt the power of um, filmmaking and what I've dedicated my life to. It's a movie about the power of stories and right. entertainment and the need for humanity to escape. Right. And um, it, the movie was told about the Great Depression um, happening during the Great Depression, and nothing has changed in terms of the power of story. That's a universal need that we all have. Absolutely. Something that uh, your film also deals with. Yes, that is something that The Concessionaires Must Die Now, available on VOD, also deals with. See that? See how that all works? That was so good. Was such a brilliant plug. That was really nice how you did that. Give me two. Uh, two is Brothers Bloom with Mark Ruffalo and uh, uh, Rachel Weiss, who's just effervescent in it. Oh my God, and I love Rachel Weiss. For and some reason, that she's in. Right. Oh, she's. And this is just, this was a part written. Like, she couldn't have. It's just. Ryan Johnson directed it, um, and it's amazing. And I'm always surprised at how many people have not seen it. And yeah. I love it. I, I, I have not seen it. Oh, I love it. And she's. This is her role. I mean, that they're all her role because she's incredible. Yeah. But this, this is like something she could really just sparkle in. It's added to my list. Yes. See, this is why we do this segment. This is the fun of it. And give me three. Three, I'm going to cheat and say two indie films. Okay. If we're going to compare budgets. These cool. two fit under the budget of the other two. So one that's out now is Non-Transferable. It's a um, really fun rom-com that's on Amazon, um, directed by Brendan Bradley. And um, that's just, it's fun, and they shot most of it in Turkey, so the, the footage is stunning. And then the other one, which is coming out soon, is Diani and Divine Meet the Apocalypse. It's hilarious. It's a comedy about the apocalypse, and it's done by... Um, uh, Gabe Diani and Etta Divine, and it's it's hilarious. So I think it's coming out soon. So could definitely keep an eye out for it. Cool. We will add uh, America's titles, and then I'm going to throw in a book. Just because okay, yeah, please. <laughs> breaking all the rules on the first day. <laughs> I'm in the middle of reading Children of Blood and Bone, and I I'm captivated. It's incredible, and it's a story mythology of something that I've never read before. And the characters are wonderful and rich and gorgeous. So. If you feel like reading a good book. We all love reading good books. Or at least we should. We should. Maybe we should more. Um, so that was Gimme Three. Thank you, America. Even though She gave us six. I so did. she's <laughs> twice as good as everybody else who's ever given me three, which is no one. Right. The first um, and last. Yeah. You're never going to do this again because you're going to be like, oh, she already broke all the rules. <laughs> no. We, I mean, it's the first episode. We can, do, we can change it to Gimme Three. It's such a great segment because people have stuff that they cherish and want to share with the world. It's just going to get people to narrow it down to three is going to be your challenge. It's tough. Yeah. yeah. It's tough. I, I'm glad I don't have to answer. <laughs> right. Um, America, thank you so much for coming today. Thank you so thank much. Thank you for being our first guest. Yeah. We couldn't have picked a better one. Thank you so much. Um, and again, we will see everybody at the LA Comic Con on Saturday the 27th. Mm -hmm. America will be there. I will be there. Uh, Sonia, the director of the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival, will be there, as will many other great filmmakers. And I'll be in uh, some sort of cool jacket, yes, perhaps. Yes, Star Wars inspired. 
Star Wars adjacent. Star Wars adjacent, we call it. (laughs) Cool. Thank you, America. Thanks for being here. And thank you all for joining us on Film Forward. For more information about the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival, visit us at ladff.com. And if you enjoyed Film Forward, please subscribe to our podcast.